Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Oilers training camp underway, medicals and physicals today, and Mark Spector of Sportsnet reporting that Scotty Upshaw in Oilers camp on a PTO has failed his uh, physical because of a knee issue, so he won't be able to go on the ice tomorrow. Thursday night football, Bengals leading the Ravens 14-0. Final 10 seconds of the opening quarter, and the Bengals in the red zone again, driving for another score. So uh, young Brendan Ulrich must be happy about that one. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. You can text 630-630, phone number 780-496-0063. And uh, the massive story today, the trade to the San Jose Sharks, Eric Carlson and a prospect to Ottawa, Chris Tierney, Dylan DeMello, couple of prospects and some conditional draft picks. It is a big one. It gives San Jose, I would think, uh, one of, if not the best defense cores in the entire NHL. To talk about that, Edmonton native, television play-by-play voice for the Sharks. Great to have him back on the show. It's Randy Hahn. Randy, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good to be on. Good to talk to you. Um, uh, an earlier than usual appearance on the show for you, Randy. Uh, we usually talk to you a couple times a year, um, but uh, not often in the, the second week of September. But then again, the team you're covering doesn't often trade for one of the best players in the NHL uh, right before a training camp or in the start of training camp, do they? What a day. No, I, I would say as far as uh, the, the trades in Sharks history go, this one uh, is right up there with when the Sharks got Joe Thornton back in 05, and that obviously changed the franchise and continues to affect it to this day. So, uh, yeah, it was a pretty big trade and uh, comes really on the eve of training camp, which for the Sharks starts tomorrow. So, I mean, San Jose, you know, a perennially good team, make the playoffs almost every year, uh, you know, gone deep a couple of times, uh, obviously had a showdown with the Oilers in the first round a couple of years ago. I mean, Burns and Carlson on the same D, I, I mean, it's a lot of teams are, are, are looking for one offensive defenseman, Edmonton included, and, and now San Jose t- as two of the best in the game. And, and then you look at some of the depth guys on the team. I, I, I mean, tell me a little bit about how the Sharks defense score is looking now, Randy. Well, I, I think that it would be fair to say that before today, the Nashville Predators probably had the deepest defense in the NHL. And... Uh, with the Sharks adding Carlson today to a, a D that already had Brent Burns and Mark Edward Blasick, two Canadian Olympians, uh, Team Canada, <laughs> perennial type players, uh, they may have caught caught up to Nashville, if not past them, uh, as far as depth on D. It is got to feel like Christmas Day for head coach Pete DeBoer's. Uh, he's got so many options now. 
uh, with Carlson being a right shot, Burns being a left shot, Vlasic being arguably one of the best stay-at-home defensemen in the league paired with Justin Braun. They're, they're a great shutdown pair. He can play. He can keep Braun with uh, Vlasic. He can put Burns with Joachim Ryan, and they played quite a bit together last year. And he can put Carlson with Brendan Dillon, or if he feels like it one night, he can put Carlson and Burns together and challenge the other team to take the puck away. Uh, it's There's just a, an infinite number of combinations uh, that he, he can put together now and cause so many problems for other teams. And, and I'm trying to think of the last time a team had two Norris Trophy winners together on the same blue line, and if, if my memory serves me correct, it was the Anaheim Ducks after they got Chris Pronger from the Oilers, and all they did was win a, win a cup. So uh, it's it's a rare uh, opportunity. It's a rare occurrence, and uh, there's a lot of excitement here in San Jose tonight as a result of the trade. Well, and, and they're looking like a pretty good team. I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I mean, preseason predictions you always take with a grain of salt, as, as we both know, Randy. But uh, I think a lot of people were thinking the Sharks would be a pretty good team before they did this. And, uh, I, I mean, the rest of the roster, Jones is a good goalie. Uh, they're still dangerous and fast uh, up, up front. So it's not as if uh, it's going to be a team with a good decor and not much else. I mean, this should be a pretty well-rounded, deadly team if everybody's clicking. Well, I think one of the big shocks for us here today when word came down that there was a trade, uh, you kind of automatically thought of players like Tomas Hurdle or, uh, you know, the players of that ilk. Um, Timo Meyer, who is emerging to become a, a terrific power forward. You figured, or Jonas Donsko, I mean, you figured somebody like that has to go in the trade. And when it didn't happen, it was like, you got to be kidding me. You, you just added one of the best players in the world. I would call him top 10 NHL players, if not top five, in Eric Carlson. Uh, and you did not have to give up uh, elite uh, forward talent. Now, you give up first-round picks, and you give up a prospect in Josh Norris, a first-rounder playing at Michigan. And, and don't get me wrong, Chris Tierney and Dylan DeMello uh, are, are good NHLers, but they're not superstars. They're not going to be superstars. And we know Carlson already is uh add to the fact that the sharks now because they ended up signing uh re-signing evander kane who had they not would have been one of the big free agent forwards out there after july 1st along with Tavares, probably second in line after him but they took him off the market uh interestingly because of joe thornton's injuries the last two years evander kane and joe thornton have never been on the ice together so that'll happen now in this camp now you've got burns and carlson uh, on the offensive end of the back end. And let's not forget, arguably, the Sharks' best player up front, uh, Logan Couture. Uh, he certainly seemed all of that last year and then in the, in the playoffs until they ran into Vegas. So they're all in. Uh, I mean, this is a team that's going for the Stanley Cup this year. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And I know Doug Wilson's already come out uh, earlier today saying that he wants Carlson long-term and and I'm sure that they'll they'll do their best to start those discussions as soon as they can. But even barring that not happening, and certainly I hope it doesn't, but, you know, this year, if you're going to pick a darling in the West after today, I think San Jose is going to be on your, probably on your short list, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I can't argue with that. Randy Hahn joining us on Inside Sports Television, play-by-play voice for the San Jose Sharks, who today acquire... 
defenseman Eric Carlson. And you mentioned that some of the players involved in the trade. And is this is this a product of uh, of years of good drafting and development that that San Jose has players they can say you know depth players or up and coming players that they can trade and say well you know it's hard to part with these guys but we still have other guys in the system right I mean it's not as if their their farm system or their development system is now decimated just because they they traded these guys is that is that a proper read? I, I think it's a fair assessment. I mean the Sharks uh, cupboard was a little bare. For a period there, when they, you know, they were they were making that trade deadline deal to pick up players and giving up first round picks, and were never able to draft, uh, you know, a top player. And and the other factor is they they've never really been horrible, so they're not they're not a lottery team. They're they're never in that mix, so they're always drafting from from the middle on down. Uh, it's hard to get that uh, generational talent, if you will, a, a Connor McDavid or a Taylor Hall, or uh, you know, from an Edmonton perspective, the, the Sharks just don't draft in those positions. So they don't get the opportunity at those players. So, uh, you know, Doug Wilson and, and his staff, Tim Burke, uh, who is now assistant GM but has been the head of scouting for a number of years, have done a pretty good job of identifying a player like Josh Norris uh, and developing him and being able to use him uh, in, a, in, a, in a deal like this. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a credit to the organization from, from the standpoint of, uh, you know, restocking the cupboard, if you will, uh, if you look at this deal, uh, it looks like, okay, the Sharks have mortgaged the future. But, you know, they, to some people's thinking, they, they reached with Ryan Merkley in the first round this year. But he just came out of the rookie tournament in Las Vegas the Sharks were involved in and looked terrific. Uh, you know, he's not going to be an NHL player this year, I don't think. But it's not like the cupboard is completely bare after this deal today. So, uh, you know, full credit to, to Wilson and, and his staff and the organization for keeping the pipeline going, even though they went through a, a dry spell for a while as they reached to try and get to the cup. Randy, looking ahead, Tuesday, November 20th, Oilers at Sharks, first meeting between these two teams. It's going to be a fun one to see where they're at. Hey, thanks for popping on the show tonight. I know it's a busy day for everybody covering the Sharks. Always good to have you on, Randy. Always a pleasure to be on. Have a good one. Randy Hahn on the radio in his hometown of Edmonton here on 630. Chad, telling us about the big trade. Eric Carlson goes to the San Jose Sharks, uh, a definite blockbuster. Uh, Ottawa getting Chris Tierney, Dylan DeMello, a couple of prospects, Rudolph's Balsers and Josh Norris, and uh, a couple of conditional draft picks as well. But the big piece going the other way, Eric Carlson, and I'm sure now uh, San Jose works on re-signing him. And uh, you have to think... Well, in my mind, does like this shoots San Jose to the top of the Pacific Division? If I'm going to predict the order, and they got a good goaltender, they still have firepower and depth up front, and uh, now they have two elite defensemen, Burns and Carlson, both of whom have uh, have won Norris trophies before. So, and it's in the Oilers' division. the The Oilers have question marks on defense, especially with Nurse not signed, and now. The Sharks, not only did they not have question marks on defense, they get uh, they get even better. So that's a, a massive trade. Uh, Doug Wilson pulls it off for the Sharks, and uh, they're going to be even better than we had thought they were going to be throughout the summer. You can get more on Oilers Training Camp on 630Shed.com. We'll- Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. 
You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Love of a couple other uh, clips from some, uh, from some players as we move along. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. This is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, the news, one of the players uh, speaking today. Get the full story on 630Chad.com. 21-0 for the Bengals leading the Ravens. They're three minutes into the second quarter on Thursday night football. Great to have you along for the ride tonight. Randy Hahn from San Jose giving us the lowdown on the Sharks big trade as they bring in Eric Carlson from uh, the Ottawa Senators. I got this text here to 636. 630. Why don't we get Carlson? Now we have to play against him and the Sharks. They gave up peanuts. Peter Shirelli must go. We can't even sign Nurse. Uh, this texter adds, I'm losing interest after over 35 years as a fan. I'm done spending money on Euler memorabilia. All right. Uh, a couple things in that text. I'll, I'll respond to it. I'm going to assume it was sent seriously, so I'll respond to it seriously. Um, first of all, sure. Why is Nurse not signed? Can you look at some other contracts that, you know, the back two and a half million dollars for the for the likely backup goalie? Were there are there a hundred thousand dollars here or there that could have been shaved off other contracts? So it's available to nurse valid questions, valid criticism. Absolutely. In terms of the Oilers not getting Eric Carlson, I will say to that texture, come on, man, like, give me a break. Every every trade that's made, the Oilers were supposed to make, you know, like are, are the other 29 teams not involved in this trade all saying, well, we should have got Eric Carlson? I mean, first of all, it's not that simple. Second of all, and I want you to listen very carefully here, Texter. I want you to listen very carefully and then never ask me a question like this again related to Eric Carlson. Uh, <laughs> Eric Carlson had a 10-team no-trade list. And uh, from everything I've been told, the Edmonton Oilers were on it. So the player had that in his contract that he could list 10 teams he, uh, he didn't want to be traded to. And the Edmonton Oilers were one of them. So whether you like Peter Shirelli or not, or are critical of his other moves or not, uh, he, he wasn't making this trade once Carlson puts the Oilers on the list. Okay? So I hope you hear that and understand it and are able to process it. That's all, that's all I ask. That's that's all I ask. Oh, you know the other nurse stuff. Absolutely, we can what if ourselves all night long about other contracts, and uh, you know what what should he be offered? What should he be getting? What should he be willing to take? Absolutely, discuss away. But you know, st- I mean, this that that Kellen that has to be that has to be one of my most and I and I love talking to fans and I love doing the call and show after the game. But that has to be one of my most maddening questions. Mm-hmm. You know, another team makes a trade. Well, why didn't the Oilers trade for him? Well, for crying out loud, the Oilers, the Oilers can't be involved in every single trade. Other teams don't go to the Oilers first and give them the right of first refusal in every trade. Like it's 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 not like Shirelli and all the Oilers GMs of the past have had have have had all like every every tra- every team comes to them with every player that's available first. So just remember that. Now, yes, Carlson going within the division. All right, that's that's huge. That's that's massive. You got you got to make San Jose the favorite to finish first in the Pacific Division. I, I certainly do. 
But in terms of the like in terms of the Oilers not getting Carlson, all right, just settle down, everybody. Would have been great. Would have been great. I mean, you're probably well. I don't know what you would have been trading. You'd be trading, given what happened, you'd be trading a couple prospects for sure. But uh, yeah, the Oilers were not were not getting Eric Carlson. I I don't know how more plainly to state that. Uh, Reed, what about Ethan Bear? Took his team to the playoffs every year in the WHL, took his team to the Memorial Cup. He did. Uh, I don't think he's quite ready to play in the NHL. He might someday. Had some uh, good moments in the rookie tournament. He'll obviously get into the preseason. As I mentioned earlier with Rob, he was a player challenged. Uh, who challenged, who was challenged by the Oilers to come into camp in better shape. And uh, so far, so good in that. Alex says, uh, hey, Chad, Carlson wants the sun, the California Pacific air, and Brent's greasy beard. Watch him grow a massive beard. All right. <laughs> that, is a, that is a prediction from Alex. Alex, you're the official Carlson beard watcher of Inside Sports. Fair enough. I think Alex can handle that responsibility. Don't you, Kellen? You, Kellen? <laughs> sure. I think, Al, I think we need to hear Alex, not, not weekly, Bi-weekly? Twice a month? That's fair. Twice a month, Alex texts into Inside Sports with a Carlson Beard update. That's yep. his official job. I don't think that's too much to ask. Mm-hmm. If he does a good job, maybe we give him a Northern Chicken gift certificate. I mean, currently right now, Carlson's beard is what? Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? Johnny Depp level? Doesn't he have a little bit of the twirly mustache? Yeah, that's what the I was saying. The Hercule Perot? Mm-hmm. Does he grow a Burns-esque, Thornton-esque beard? Does Thornton still have the beard? I believe so. But Burns has the beard. Yeah, B- Burns has the beard to end all beards right now in the league. They're the, they're the anti-Lou Lamarillo. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wasn't that new? Was that yesterday I saw that, that uh, Kyle Dubas kind of came out and said the Leafs can have facial hair? Yeah. Because Lamarillo had the no facial hair policy? That yeah. Was, that was big. Uh <laughs> That was big. Alex is down to be the beard watcher. Right on. Yes, Alex. Welcome. See, that's that's what I like. Welcome, Alex. That's what I like. You gotta have some fun. Uh, Jensen says, <laughs> I love this. Just tuned in. Who was challenged to get in better shape? Jensen, two things. It was Ethan Bear. Second of all, listen to the whole show. No, I'm joking. I appreciate you tuning in. Well, it would be great if you could listen to the whole show. Uh, <laughs> but that's all right. Uh, what else is going on today? Well, speaking of the Leafs, uh, they were in camp today as well. Expectations high there. But center Austin Matthews saying they're not trying not to pay too much attention to that. All of us want to take a step forward. The team wants to take a step forward. Um, you know, that stuff, uh, all that stuff going on around us, not too much of a focus. But, um, you know, we have high expectations for ourselves. And I think that's a good thing. All of us want to be great and want to push each other and help us uh, achieve the ultimate goal. All right, uh, Leafs. Leafs beginning their on-ice sessions tomorrow in Niagara Falls. Leading to the inevitable plummeting jokes if they don't live up to expectations. Greaser texting in. He says, looks like Jones is way ahead of Bear. He skates like Nurse. Greaser, I'm glad you brought that up. Caleb Jones was drafted a little bit ahead of Ethan Bear. Not a lot, but a little bit. Both drafted in the same year. Caleb Jones, I think, has the potential to have a better all-round game. And uh, Ethan Bear probably better offensively. But 
uh, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought up Caleb Jones because he's kind of been a little under the radar. Bear grabbed a lot of headlines because he was called up last season. Um, but Caleb Jones might have a better all-around game long-term. Thanks for chiming in with that. And <laughs> Alex, hey, Alex is all in on this beard stuff. This is great. I, I'm glad he's doing that. I hope he sticks with it. We'll, we'll definitely get his beard updates on the show. Uh, Steve Siebold, former pro tennis player, when we get back. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Six minutes left in the second quarter. Bengals 21, Ravens 7. Thursday night football. Got some great texts rolling in here about the Oilers as training camp is underway. I'm going to catch up to those later on this half hour, but I do have a uh, special guest standing by. That's a warning. I didn't get coaching. I didn't get coaching. You need to take. You need to make an announcement that I didn't get coaching. I don't cheat. I didn't get coaching. How can you say that? You need to. You need to. You owe me an apology. You owe me an apology. I have never cheated in my life. I have a daughter and I stand with right for her. And I've never cheated. You owe me an apology. Okay, the special guest is not Serena Williams, but I wanted to I wanted to play that audio. And we haven't had a lot of Jack and I touched on it a little bit last night on the show, um, but we you know we had uh, Oilers games this week, a lot of Eskimo stuff to talk about. So I didn't get too much into this, and uh, was able to get in touch with uh, our next guest here, former pro tennis player Steve Siebold, who joined us on Inside Sports. Steve, my name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for checking in tonight, man. How are you doing? Hey, good, Reed. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Really appreciate you making time for us. We're going to get into uh, some of that Serena stuff and, and your uh, your reaction to it. But let's just get uh, some of your story first, because uh, you know I know I know you I know you played and you've done some incredible stuff uh, with performance coaching and things like that since you stopped playing. So give us a little bit on your background uh, as a player, the era you played in, and and uh, and how you transitioned into some other stuff afterwards. No, sure. I played uh, pro tennis in the in the late uh, mid to late 1980s, and then uh, retired and started working with Andre Agassi and Jim Courier and some of the top players of of that day on the on the mental side of uh, of the game. And uh, and uh, for, so since then, for about the last 30 25 years, we've been working with uh, sales teams and all kinds of different groups on psychological performance training. And I was, you know, I was looking at your your website and and, and you've written like tons of books, haven't you? You got a few out there. Yeah, about ten. About, about ten, give or take, eh? Ten more than most people. Exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well I, I, and I just—I I know we want to talk about Serena and some other stuff, but I—I I, I, love—I I love your uh, your story. Like, did you want to go into the more, you know, the the mental training and 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 all that kind of stuff? Um, like, was that one of your strengths as a player, or was that something you said, "Hey, maybe I wasn't good enough at it, and now I want to help other people"? I'm curious about where that passion came from. Well, it was, it was a, it was an, in, I was really kind of mentally inconsistent for a, for a pro. In other words, some days I'd be really focused and then other days I would let down. And so I was, and of course, as a pro athlete, that's a disaster, especially in a sport like tennis where concentration all the time is, is key to your success. So I, I came, it really was sort of a, an on and off thing. So I started studying it in the, uh, the eighties and became kind of, uh, obsessed with the topic and have been studying it ever since. 
Well, that, that that's really cool. Uh, and, and well, and you mentioned in a sport like tennis, you're out there by yourself. I, I mean, I know you played some doubles, but there, at most, there's one other person to bail you out. Unlike some team sports, where I mean, we talk about the Oilers a lot. Sometimes a guy having a bad game, he, okay, the coach doesn't use them as much. You're not hiding in tennis, are you? No, you're, it, it, I think it's the most mentally, the game that requires the most mental toughness just because you're, it's a fine motor skill sport where you can't take your anxiety and your nervousness, you know, out on the, on another player or, or some, because everything is, is touch. So you've got to really control yourself emotionally and you have no coaching. You're not supposed to have coaching. Uh, you're not, you don't have anyone backing you up. It's just kind of you out there on your own. And uh, you grow up like that playing at the juniors around the world and you sort of develop that, uh, that skill. And uh, that takes you into the pros. So it, it is a tough game for, for the psychological piece. Okay, great segue. Emotional control, coaching. U.S. Open women's final last weekend. It all started with uh, a, a warning from chair umpire Carlos Ramos to Serena Williams about receiving coaching. Look, you were in the sport. You, you watch it a lot more than I do. But a lot of people I've talked to this week and have heard talking saying, well, there's, there's always a coach-player interaction, and that might have been excessive to actually give that warning. Let's start there, Steve. How, how do you look at, at that initial incident? Was that excessive by Ramos to even issue that warning to begin with? Oh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, it, it, there's no coaching in tennis. I mean, it's against the rules. So it's like saying, you know, every, a lot of people speed. A lot of people don't pay their taxes on time. You know, all kinds of things. But, you know, if you get caught, you get caught. And Serena Williams got caught, and then she denied it, which was, you know, in front of millions of people. Which And then, then she got, you know, uh, irate about uh, the idea that she got caught. And it, he, even her coach admitted it. And then all, and then the the world, you know, the, the Women's Tennis Association as well as the U.S. Tennis Association backs her up and says she was sportsmanlike and classy. Oh no! By the way, they fined her seventeen thousand dollars, but they still called her sportsmanlike and classy. It's just ridiculous. Okay, well, this is this is interesting. I, I could tell you're you're passionate and opinionated about this. I mean, I I look at that, Steve, and look, I'm I'm. I'm totally just, you know, I, I'm an observer watching this. I actually saw the highlights after I got home from our, our CFL team's game on Saturday night. And I, I realized she was upset. But as it went on and on, I thought to myself, isn't there a point where even if even if you think the ump or the ref is completely out to lunch, he or she is out to lunch, and sometimes they might be, Steve, uh, <laughs> but isn't there a point where you, you have to stop mouthing off and maybe make your point after the match or in a more formal... Like, you know what I mean? Isn't, isn't there a point where you you got to tone it down no matter how much you think you're right? Oh, definitely. I mean, she was throwing a fit. I mean, just, Serena can be a drama queen. I mean, I've, I've, I've known her since she was a kid. and She can be a drama queen, especially because she was getting beaten very, very easily. She she was not going to win that match, and that's, I think, why she threw a fit about it and then whatnot. And then she tried to defend it. But, you know, Carlos Ramos, the, 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 that umpire, is literally one of the best tennis umpires in the world in the entire game. Uh, I mean, obviously, if he's you know if he's umping a final match like that, he's an amazing umpire, and he followed the rules exactly, and that's why the ITF, the International Tennis Federation, backed him up and said he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And uh, for some reason, he becomes the enemy, and the and the spoiled uh, the spoiled athlete, you know, gets all the. It's all the kudos. It's just kind of backwards. Okay, let me let me ask you this though. I'm going to play devil's advocate a, a little bit here. Um, okay, and and I, and I know you said you know rules are rules. Um, but also, what do most football players tell you? Even offensive linemen, you could call holding almost every play, right? I mean, you don't always have to do exactly uh, e- exactly what 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 the book says. Um, so, 
you know, and do you th- do you think there's anything to this that even though he's a well-established ump, what about the stories that you know he's let men get away with being mouthier, and maybe he played that differently because there was a woman involved? Did do you see any of that? I think I think it's unfair. I'm sure it happens. I mean, people are human. Umpires are human. I mean, they get abused all the time. And I, I mean, I've played in front of you know lots of them over the years, and um, you know they've got a really thankless, tough job. So obviously, it, there's some subjectivity in it. Maybe you know maybe. Uh, I would not say that about Carlos Ramos. I'm sure there's been some variation in his uh, in his umping like everybody else's because he's just human. But that being said, I mean these guys are really, really good at what they do. They're really consistent, and uh, and he he follow, I mean it's a final match. I mean it's a big Grand Slam tournament. He I mean who I mean you know it would've been tough not to follow protocol. He'd have gotten criticized more if he didn't follow protocol. And remember when she cheated, not only did she deny it, but then she threw a fit, and all he did was give her a warning for cheating and then when she you know she broke her racket and then she started berating the guy and uh, and acting like a thug saying he'll never work on her court again and all this nonsense and then then you know that the, all these you know the associations back up and back her up and say you know she's fighting for women's rights it's like where, i don't know where that came from but there it is steve <laughs> siebel joining us on inside sports former uh, pro tennis player now also a uh, psychological performance coach uh, obviously very opinionated very passionate about what happened with the u.s open final okay so uh l- let me ask you this for, from from this perspective uh you know we got people listening who will have kids who will have younger kids if they're into sports at all they probably saw highlights of that uh uh, what what what's what's the message? Uh, you know, if a, if a younger athlete wants and, and look, you know, everybody gets emotional playing sports. So what's the message about controlling that? I assume there's the old cliche in here about dealing with adversity. What what's the message here, Steve? Well, that's you know that's I think that's my biggest thing and my biggest problem is that okay, so Serena goes off, she does something, she's in the heat of you know she knows she's going to lose. I mean, you could tell, I could see it in her face. I mean. You know, I've seen her for a long time since she was a kid. And, you know, she was going to lose, there's no question. So she got passionate. She did all the things, and she had this outburst. Okay, that's one thing. I blame her for that. But that's, that it happens in sports. It's like you said, perfect, you know, perfect example. Um, but my concern is for the kids is that when the, when the Women's Tennis Association and the U.S. Tennis Association come out, the president, Katrina Adams, came out and said, you know, wonderful things about how Serena Williams acted. Well, what, is that, what kind of message does that give to the kids when when – the president of the United States Tennis Association is actually condoning uh, thuggish, childlike behavior. So now kids can go break their rackets and scream at umpires, and and they play matches all over the world. Like I grew up in that world, you know, the junior tennis world, and we played all throughout Canada. Edmonton was the place we played. You play all over, and now kids think that's okay. And that's and that to your point. That's that's my biggest concern as well. Steve, uh, got a text here in our text line uh, six thirty six thirty from a, a listener named Lewis who says, uh, Reed, can you ask your guest if he works primarily with pro athletes, uh, and if so, what sport he focuses on? Can I throw that one at you, Steve? Sure. I did for the first 10 years, and I worked with uh, football, basketball, pro pro teams, and just about everything, Olympic athletes, tennis players, of course, like Andre Agassi, uh, other tennis players, big tennis players. And I don't anymore. I work with corporations now. But I used to many years ago, yeah. So, what kind of stuff do you do with corporations? That's that, you've done, man. You've hit on a lot of stuff here. How, how do you work with the corporations? We train the sales teams how to think at a higher level so they can sell more. Oh, okay. <laughs> Brief it to the point. That's it's all about uh, psychology. 
you know. Okay. Now, did you w- would you work with athletes in a team sport different than you would work with athletes in, in a in an individual sport when you did it, Steve? Oh yeah, very much so. And the sports differ as well. I mean, you're working with uh, you know, you know hockey's one one sport I never did work with, um, which is one of the few. But like football is very different than golf. You know, golfers are, are more refined as a you know just generally speaking. Uh, tennis players tend to be more refined in some case, in most cases that I've worked with. But then football players are really you know really rough. I'm not sure about hockey players. Uh, baseball players are kind of in between. They have to kind of tailor the. The, the, the mental toughness training to the athlete, uh, you know, in the, in the sport that they play. How much, I don't know if you want to put a percentage on it or if you have a story maybe about someone you worked with, but how, how drastically can performance increase from better psychological training, from the attitude? It's got a pretty good percentage. It's not everything. You know, I mean, when I started working with Andre Agassi, for example, way back in, uh, I think it was 89, 88, maybe it been, um, he wasn't mentally tough at all. He's a kid. You know, he's 18, 19 years old. And he was very, he wasn't mentally tough at all. But he was so talented that he was beating a guy like Jim Courier, who was one of the most mentally tough athletes I've ever worked with or seen or heard of since, before or since. So there is some level of, of you know, that there, there certainly is a, a, a talent is a big thing. You know, I mean, Gretzky, Gretzky may have been the most mentally tough hockey player, maybe not, but he was Gretzky. You know, so some of so some things you can't overcome with psychology, but all things being equal, it's a really big it's a really big thing. Well, and from what I remember about Agassi, I mean, wasn't that a knock on him for a long time that he, you know, he would he'd get you know frazzled or he was a little too worried about being a showman and he didn't have have the focus on the court, and then didn't he get that as he got a little older? Yeah, he got he got some of it. I I, I was I was disappointed. I mean, you know, with with where he went. I mean. He was just because he, I mean, he did well, but he was so much more gifted than anyone I'd ever seen before or since. I've, I've, I mean, you know, I played him lots of times. I worked with him. I mean, he was so talented. But I think he was, he, he was kind of lazy psychologically um, his whole career at some level, but he was so gifted that he got away with it at a very high level. Even in the juniors, he got away with it because he was so talented. And he's a heck of a nice guy. But mentally, I wouldn't put him up there with, you know, with the Roger Federer's or the Sampras's or anyone like that. Right, right. Okay. Hey, Steve, uh, this was fascinating to talk to you. Thanks for weighing in on Serena and, and just some other aspects of your career. This was really cool to talk to you. Uh, how can people check you out online, Steve? Uh, probably the easiest way is just Google me. It's uh, Seabold's my last name, S-I-E-B-O-L-D, and my books and all that stuff will come up. Steve, thanks for coming on Inside Sports on 630 Chet in Edmonton. I hope we can do this again. Thanks, Reed. I appreciate it. That is Steve Siebel. Check it in. Uh, interesting take there on everything that went down with Serena Williams. Uh, obviously, you can tell he did not like uh, the way she behaved on uh, on the on the weekend. He's had a pretty interesting life. Uh, pro tennis player himself, worked with teams and athletes, and now he's in the corporate world helping salespeople. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's 748. We're back for some final thoughts. Actually, several of your thoughts on your Edmonton Oilers. 
You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chen. Minute 12 to go on the first half. Cincinnati leading Baltimore 28-7 Thursday night football. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Our next game broadcast on 630 Chet will be Monday, Oilers preseason. Visiting the Calgary Flames, 5.30 face-off show. Game will start at 7. Our next Eskimos broadcast next Saturday. The Eskimos on a bye. They will be visiting the Ottawa Red Blacks. That game will kick off at 2. Eskimos sitting with a record of 7-5. and five. Ottawa playing Saskatchewan this weekend. It'll be uh, interesting to see what goes down in that one. Was uh, talking earlier, uh, we had a texter complaining that the Oilers didn't trade for Eric Carlson, and I said, hold the phone. First of all, Carlson had the Oilers on his no-trade list, and uh, second of all, your favorite team isn't always going to trade for every available guy. Uh, this texter says, uh, Doug, during the Gretzky years, a family member used to drive me crazy by asking, why don't we get Mario Lemieux, too? Saw Gretzky and the Mule play together on the 1987 Canada Cup team. It worked fairly well. Best hockey tournament I've ever seen. Uh, Oh, here's a good text. Uh, My 17-year-old daughter, who is entering her fifth year as a hockey ref, saw the highlights and thought Serena Williams' actions were ridiculous. She is 100% behind the umpire. Thank you for texting that, and uh, great to hear your daughter in her fifth year as a hockey ref. A lot of kids, unfortunately, start refing in their teens and leave in their teens. And sometimes it's because of the abuse from players and coaches and parents that they leave. So good for your daughter for sticking with it. hope she keeps going. Uh, Mick says the Edmonton Oilers uh, subpar defense. They're in the bottom half of the NHL. That'll be their Achilles heel. It'll take a minimum of one year to develop. Josh says... Reed, I am sick of the negativity in this city. No wonder guys leave Edmonton off their list. People rip on the team constantly. Appreciate what you have. And second of all, realize Edmonton, not a Sunbelt team, and our geographic location isn't for everyone. That is a text from Josh. And Kurt says, as a lifelong Oilers fan, I think it's best to be realistic about this season. With the current cap situation, they will not be adding a top-pairing D-man. This should be about trying to develop team chemistry with guys like Brodziak, Reader, Upshaw, who you may have missed it, uh, Kurt. Unfortunately, he is uh, uh, not going to be in camp because he didn't pass his medical. Uh, but anyway, and possibly Chase on with the forward core of Nuge, Drysdale, and McDavid. Look for Puglia-Yarvi, Larson, Clefbaum, and Nurse to continue improving. Talbot to rebound and improvement on the PP and PK. Give Yamamoto, Bear, and Bouchard another year in the minors to further mature. Monitor the season, look for trades with guys who don't gel, and set the team up for a chance to be contenders in 1920 and beyond. That is for Kurt, who is trying to be realistic. And look, you know, we're going to be talking the next month about predictions and, and analyzing what happens in the preseason. And I, and I think there are several areas about the Oilers that, where you can realistically say it should be better than last year, which with, I think, being, you know, overly optimistic. Now, there are some areas where I'm like, well, that's a pretty big question mark. Sure, depth on defense, depth scoring. I don't think it's unrealistic for the power play to be not last. I don't think it's unrealistic for the penalty kill to improve. You know, there's a few more goals for, there's a there's some fewer goals against. Cam Talbot has a 918 career average save percentage. Okay, his career average is 918. 
So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility he's 915 to 920. Those are some things that make me optimistic about them being a, a playoff team. But again, I don't think they're going to be a top tier team. We will continue to discuss. Kellen Kennedy's the studio producer. Dave Campbell's the producer. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. Thanks for texting in. Always love talking with you. More on Oilers Camp tomorrow. My name is Reed Wilkins. Adler's next. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.